Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Running on empty. Anybody ever feel like you're running on empty? Anybody? Ever feel like you come to a place where, man, you're into, you know, that, all that stuff, and you just get discouraged? Anybody ever sense your discouragement in your life? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's why I had Richard sing that song, that running on empty. And it just reminds me of that. I mean, even the, the words that it says, you know, it just reminds me, you know, you're out there, you think life's going to be one thing, it turns into something else. And, uh, you know, you have these big dreams, everything's going to happen, you're, you can't wait. And that was when you were 16, and now you're 65, and it's not happening, you know, and you're discouraged. And people get discouraged. Discouragement is part of life, that's for sure. And I want to talk about that today. That's, that's uh, going to wrap this series up, but I want to talk about discouragement, but I don't want you to be discouraged when I get finished. That's the whole goal here, okay? I want to find a way to, to talk about discouragement and leave you with some hope and some encouragement. So uh, if you have your Bibles, take them out, and uh, we're going to talk about defeating discouragement. 1 Kings chapter 16, 17, 18, and 19. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you because I don't want to take up our whole time, but I'm going to tell that story throughout this message to you today. Uh, It is the story of the prophet Elijah. Okay, now there's two prophets who have almost the same name, Elijah and Elisha. And this is Elijah, he is the first of them, and Elisha is, is uh, he actually uh, anoints Elisha to become prophet. Uh, Elijah is the one who met with Jesus and Moses in the Mount of Transfiguration, um, and uh, he is probably the prototype of the, of the Jewish prophet. When you think about prophets, he's the one. And so we're going to tell the story of the prophet Elijah. And he's one of my favorite characters in the whole Bible. And you find it, like I said, in 1 Kings 16, 17. And and, uh, let me tell you the story. But to do that, I need to give you a little bit of the backstory. There's this guy named Ahab who who is anointed king over Israel. Okay, and, and that wasn't unusual. They were kind of going through kings pretty fast back in those days. And Ahab gets anointed king over Israel. And after he gets anointed king, he decides to seek him a wife. Instead of going and finding a Jewish wife, which is what they were supposed to do, the command by God was not to intermarry. And he goes out and he looks and finds him a Gentile wife. And she is a king's daughter and her name is Jezebel. Nowadays, when we talk about Jezebel, everybody kind of laughs. Well, here's where it's all started. Jezebel today is synonymous with control and manipulation. She served the god Baal. That was her big thing. She had the idols and the gods of Baal, and she brought that into their home. And because she's manipulative and controlling, she gets Ahab to worship the Baals. Then she worships the god Asherah, and so Ahab serves Asherah. And because of this, Ahab lets the altar of the temple fall into disrepair, and he leads the nation completely away from God. And the Bible says he did more uh, evil than any other king before him. How would you like to have that on your tombstone? 
You know, uh, Nathan's always telling us about the things that he finds because he carves tombstones. And he's always telling us about some of the things they carve into tombstones and how crazy some of that is. How would you like to have that carved underneath? He did more evil than any other king before him. That would uh, that'd be a great one right there. Um, but anyway, that was exactly what the Bible says about him. So God sends the prophet Elijah. Elijah. And the word that God gives Elijah is in 1 Kings 17.1, and he sends him there to confront Ahab and Jezebel. And what he's sending them there to do is to repent. He wants them to repent. This is not a punishment thing. This is not a I'm going to strike you down kind of thing. This is God sending the prophet Elijah into their lives so they'll repent, so that they will understand, so that they will change. So the prophet goes, and the word that God gives to Elijah to give to the king is this. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, There will be neither rain nor dew in the next few years except at my word. Now you have to understand that these words of warning, as I said, were meant to lead him back. And so when Elijah has delivered God's message, God then sends Elijah out into Israel and and the Bible picks up there and the story goes, Elijah goes out into Israel and he does all kinds of things. There's signs and wonders and miracles that he performs and it's an incredible story and you you ought to read through that. It's, It's really good. And throughout this whole time, God is miraculously providing for Elijah's needs. And at the end of three years, God speaks to Elijah and he tells him, now go back to King Ahab because he, God, is going to send rain upon the land. (coughs) So that's what he does. And, And again, you have to remember that Elijah is trusting and believing that this drought is happening to help change the heart that this is going to work, that the heart of of Ahab and Jezebel are going to change. He believes that God is sending him to call the king, the nation, back to God, back to uh, what they should be. So Elijah goes with confidence to meet with Ahab in the belief that this is revival time. This is the revival time. It's getting ready to happen. He can't wait. And when he meets with Ahab, Ahab calls the prophet this. He calls him the troubler of Israel. How'd you like that one? You walk in, you think this is going to be great, you shake hands, and he says, you're the troublemaker. And that's what he believes. Elijah's really just God's messenger. God's the one who stopped the rain, not Elijah, but Ahab is blaming the drought on Elijah. He's totally missed the point that God's in charge and that God is trying to get his attention. So God has Elijah do something. This is the part I want you to hear. Elijah called the king and the prophets of Baal together. And he calls the prophets of of the Asherah together. There are 450 prophets of Baal. There are 400 Asherah prophets who come to meet. And he says, let's have a showdown. We're going to do this. We're going to have a showdown. Now, Friday night, I got to go to a great basketball game, except for one thing. The wrong team won by one point. But it was an awesome game. It was like Friday night, basketball was meant to be in Indiana. It was fun the whole time. People were yelling and hollering, carrying on. It was just a blast. This is a showdown. This is a little bit bigger than that. This is huge. And Elijah sets the rules. He says, here's the deal. You set up your altar. You chop up the wood and you stack it on your altar. You get your sacrifice. You cut up your sacrifice. It's going to be a bull. And you're going to lay that cut up bull on your wood And then you're going to pray and ask your God, the God of Baal, the God of Asher, you're going to ask them to light the fire. Because they would light a fire if they made a sacrifice and burned the sacrifice up. And he said, you're not going to light it, because anybody can see that's that's not a big deal. But you're going to ask your God to do this for you. He's going to light this fire for you. 
And so that's what they did. They, they agreed to it. And so they, they made their altar. They piled up their wood. They cut up their bull. And they began in the morning, early in the morning, to call out to Baal and to Asherah to light the fire and to consume the sacrifice. But nothing happens. They go on and on, calling for the fire. And nothing happens. About noon, Elijah stops them for a minute and he begins to taunt them. See, you know, a lot of us think that trash talking began in the NBA. It's not true. It began in the Bible. Right here is where it happens. He says things like, maybe your God's asleep, guys. Maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's just deaf and he can't hear what you're saying. Why don't you yell louder? And so that's what they did. They began to yell louder. In fact, they, they yelled louder. They redoubled their efforts. They danced. And then they began to cut themselves. This is the first uh, instance I know of of cutting. They began to cut themselves, and it says the blood flowed. They weren't just nicking themselves. They were cutting themselves and bleeding, trying to get the bales, trying to get uh, Asherah to pay attention. And they worked themselves into a frenzy, blood, sweat, tears, cries, and nothing happened. So about evening, Elijah said enough, and he calls them off. He says, my turn. First thing he does is repairs the altar of Yahweh because the altar has been torn down. And so he repairs the altar He brings in 12 stones, one representing each tribe of the tribe of Israel, and he sets them up, and he digs a big old trough all the way around these 12 stones, this big altar that he's made. And he puts the trough in place, and he cuts up his wood, and he cuts up the sacrifice of the bull, just like the others. But then Elijah does something. He changes the rules. You ever do that when you're a kid? You know, if it wasn't going your way, you change the rules. Well, you know what? It's got to, you've got to hit me twice to get me out. Once isn't enough. You know, I'm, that's just my rule. It's my ball. It's my yard. So that's the way we're playing right now. And it's kind of like that, only in reverse. He says, I'm going to make it harder on me than I did on you. And so he calls for three big pots of water to be brought. They're like 55-gallon drums, really, of water to be brought in. And they pour that on top of the sacrifice. Water does not burn right we all understand that so then he says that's not enough he goes go get me six more and he pours that on top of the sacrifice and the bible says that the water ran down until the trough was full and it was just soaking wet there's no way this thing's going to burn there's no human way for him to light the fire see elijah wants to make sure they understand this that god did this He wants them to understand that it wasn't something he did. He couldn't pull off some hocus-pocus kind of trick. It's either God's going to do this or God's not going to do this, but he was trusting God. So pick it up there in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36, and we read this. It says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. So Elijah collects up the 800, so the fire falls, it burns up the sacrifice, it destroys the whole thing. In fact, it even burns up the rocks. It's so hot, it just consumes everything. So when that's finished, all the people are going, oh man, God is God, God is God. And they're cheering, and Elijah's the victor in this battle, and he runs out and he begins to collect up. He gets the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asher, and he has them put to death. Then he tells Ahab the king, he says, you need to go eat now because I'm telling you right now, I hear the sound of heavy rain coming and sends him off to eat. Then Elijah goes over and he climbs up Mount Carmel and he gets up on top of it and he begins to wait for rain. 
He sends his servant off one, two, three, four, five, six times. And he sends him over. He says, go look and see if the rain's coming yet. And six times he comes back and says, no, it's still clear. It's just like before. But Elijah sends him one more time. And when he comes back, he says, there is a cloud rising out of the sea the size of a man's hand. It's on the way, in other words. It's coming. And then the rain comes. Elijah goes to Jezreel. And he goes there to visit with Ahab and and Jezebel. He believes that when they see the rain, they've seen the sacrifice, they saw the fire, they see the rain now, they're going to repent, and he's going to restore them. And he's met there by Jezebel, and she's angry. And she tells him, you killed my prophets. And in 1 Kings 19.2, she says this, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, if I don't kill you by this time tomorrow, then let the gods deal with me. She's mad. She's angry. He won. She didn't like it. I got to tell you, at this point, Elijah's been through a lot. He's been dealing with a lot. There's a lot of emotion involved in this. There's a lot of stress involved in this. He's worn out. He thinks that God is going to do something. You ever, you ever been in a place where you thought God was going to do something and he didn't do it like you thought he was going to do it? And you end up going, I don't know what to think. I've been there. Been there a few times. That's where Elijah is. He's worn out. He's confused. He's disappointed. And I think maybe even a little disillusioned. And so Elijah ran for his life. He just took off. He said, if if this isn't going to happen, I'm out of here. And he ran for his life. The Bible says he just ran for his life. And when we meet up with Elijah again, he is now in a desert out by himself. And he is asleep under a broom tree. And I don't know what a broom tree is but it's some kind of tree, and Elijah's asleep under one of them. And he's discouraged. He's led this great display of God's power. He has seen the rain come. He was sure that people were going to turn back to Yahweh, but they had not, and he is discouraged. And in chapter 19, just hours after this great spiritual display and victory, according to 1 Kings 19, 3-5, it says this. It says that Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba, in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. You ever prayed that you might die? You ever been so discouraged you said, Lord, just take my life, I'm done? You know, I've actually done that. I've actually been at a place, I said, Lord, you know, I don't even care to live anymore. I'm just, I'm tired, I've worked, I've done everything I know how to do, nobody's listening, nobody cares. <sighs> just take me off to heaven, maybe it'll be better there. And that's what he did. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the tree and he fell asleep. And I got to tell you, he was discouraged. And he was exhausted. And he's ready to give up. And, And that's how discouragement works in our lives so often. One day everything is working and you're doing great and you think everything is going to change and you can't wait. It's just around the corner of the big day, the big payoff, all those things that you've been working for. It's getting ready to happen. And then if we're not careful, discouragement begins to set in because it doesn't happen and we feel like giving up and dying. You know, I want to tell you, there's several things that causes discouragement. We've talked about them the last several weeks. And by the way, Ian did a great job the last three weeks of preaching those messages. That was fantastic. And, you know, you guys need to just let him know that because that was awesome. He did a great job. But the first one is burnout. You know what burnout causes discouragement? You reach a place where you're just so burned out, where you've been burning the candle at both ends and doing things that 
you know, that you had to do maybe or things you shouldn't have been doing or, or whatever, but you've been doing it too much. You haven't taken time to rest. You haven't taken time to get peace and hope. causes discouragement. You know what? Cynicism causes discouragement. You know, sometimes we get so cynical, we begin to look at everybody around us and we think that they're trying to take advantage of us. We think that, that uh, you know, that can't possibly be that way. We get cynical and cynicism can cause burnout and cause, could cause discouragement. And pride can cause discouragement as we get full of ourselves and then realize that, that no matter what we do, we can't achieve what we thought we could and, and we get discouraged. Difficult situations cause discouragement. The problems that you face every day in your life, those things that just keep coming, those chronic things that just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. Anybody relating to that at all? And you don't know what to do with them. Those can cause discouragement. Almost always, our discouragement comes from lies that Satan tells us about these kinds of events. Always, they come from those things. Every time you hear those voices that tell you you can't, that tell you that you're not good enough, that tell you that you blew it, that tell you that, that, that life is just awful, those are not God's words. I'm going to tell you that right now. You need to write that down. You need to keep that in your mind. Those are never God's words. When you hear those, those are not God's words. Those are Satan. He's trying to get you discouraged. He's trying to defeat you. He's trying to break you down. When we're trying to do the right thing, and bad comes out of it. When we're trying to live right and we're loving our spouse and doing everything and he goes off and has an affair. When we're living our life for our Lord and other people aren't and they seem to be fine and we're getting beat up. We're paying our bills but we never seem to get the break and meanwhile that guy who cheats on his taxes gets everything else. We're honest at work but the other guy who cheated got the promotion. You know one time I was at my first job. I was working. I worked so hard that day. They were un we were unloading. It was a carpet store, and we were unloading padding, and I was unloading it out of the semi, and there was two other guys supposed to be helping me, and they laid down in the corner and went to sleep, and I unloaded it by myself, and it wasn't quite done when the boss came back there. And by then, they had gotten up, and he fired me because he said, you didn't get it done. And I got fired, and I'm the one that worked extra hard. The other two guys came to me later and said, man, sorry about that. That, that helped. But that's discouraging. That brings discouragement into our lives. Many times, most times, discouragement happens because we take our eyes off of what God has asked us to do and we get our focus on the circumstances happening around us. Whenever you begin to look at circumstances, see, circumstances aren't real. They're going to change from time to time. God tells us, this is what I want. This is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to be. Those are the things you've got to get your mind and your heart focused on. That's why it's so important to get in the Word. Because if you don't know the Word, then circumstances are going to seem real and circumstances are going to defeat you. God never promised every circumstance would be fair that you live in. But He always said He would be there. And that He'd take you through it. He always as Ian said earlier, promises things, and his promises are yes and amen. They're, they tell the truth. God's nature never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Never changes. It's also true that God never lies. If he said that he would do it, then he's going to do it. It may not happen today, and the circumstances may say differently, but if God said, I'm going to see you through this, then he is going to see you through this. That's a promise. 
Discouragement is always from Satan, our fear, self-pity, self-condemnation. They're all part of Satan's lies that tells us to get down, to, to be beaten down, to get discouraged. So how do you overcome your discouragement? Because to be real here, even those of us who are living for Jesus and are living in obedience to Jesus and living in the blessing of God on this earth, We'll have times when our eyes get on the wrong things and it will lead us to discouraging times. will lead us to discouragement. How do we overcome discouragement? Well, the very first thing you need to do is to stop and be honest. You got to get honest. I got to tell you the truth. You need to announce it out loud. So many of us walk around and act like, well, everything's fine. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. By the way, nobody's, no, nobody believes that when you do that. Everybody's talking about you behind your back at that point, going, yeah, they're not fine. Did you notice the way they're acting? You know, you're not fine. But we think we're fine. Satan makes us think we've faked everybody out, and everybody thinks I'm fine. You need to announce out loud, I'm discouraged. One of the biggest problems in the church is we think we have to look like we've got our act together. We don't have our act together. I don't have my act together. I am hanging on to God, and that's all I'm doing. I'm just trusting in Him. And there's no way to fix anything we will not admit is going on or is wrong. See, it's like driving my car down the road and I hear a squeak. And so I turn my radio up. I'm sure none of you ever have done that, right? Anybody here want to admit you do that? Okay, there's a few of you honest folks out there. The rest of you are lying to me because I know. As soon as you hear that. Or like the guy who was driving down the road and he saw the the light come on that says check engine and so he just put a piece of tape over that so he didn't have to look at it it makes it go away it's all right right i mean you know you got to admit that something's wrong before you can fix it our feelings they're real god gave them to us they're real don't deny them we need to speak them out loud and admit them and own them and we need to acknowledge that christians do get discouraged it's okay it's okay But as Christians, here's the good news. We do not need to live in our discouragement. And we know who to take our discouragement to. So the first thing you got to do is you've got to admit it. You've got to acknowledge it. You've got to say it out loud. The second thing is this. You need to take care of your physical needs. A lot of times, a lot of discouragement comes because we just aren't taking care of this, the physical part of our bodies. We're working too many hours. We're eating the wrong kind of food. We're, we're just, you know, sitting too much and, and, and our bodies are just in a bad place. See, when Elijah had been through this battle and had faced down Jezebel, he was emotionally and physically exhausted, which was part of what led to his discouragement. And I love the very first thing that God did. He did not send him a, a note. He didn't go over and slap him and say, what's wrong with you? Or any of those things. The first thing that God did was to send him food and refreshment. Look in 1 Kings 19, 3-6. Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And he went a day's journey into the desert. And we read that. And he said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree, fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around. And there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then laid down again. And I love it that God didn't get all angry and yell at him. I love that God understood that the human he had made needed refreshment and that he needed two things. He needed rest. A lot of times when we're discouraged, rest is a good thing. We need rest. Rest is a good thing. 
Secondly, we need nourishment. He didn't need a sermon to fix him. See, sometimes we think, oh, there's something wrong with that guy. I better get a, 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 I'm going to send him a CD or I'm going to tell him what book to read or I'm going to lecture him on something. I'm going to straighten him out. Oftentimes, what we need is nourishment. He didn't need a sermon. He didn't need to be fixed. So God just sat and watched over his man. I love that picture. There's, there's Elijah out in the desert, laying under the broom tree. God feeds him, and then he goes back to sleep. And I just got this picture of God just sitting there going, it's going to be okay. I'm just going to take care of him. Just watching Satan, you leave him alone. You know, stay away. This is my, this is my guy. I'm taking care of him. And he just let him sleep. He sent him bread and water, and then he let him sleep. And then, then he woke him up again, and he fed him again before he took Elijah out of that situation. I love that. God, God understands what we need, by the way. Third thing is this. To overcome discouragement, we need to get a handle on our thought life. Because a lot of times, a lot of the discouragement comes from things we're thinking that aren't true. Anybody here ever done that? You sit and you start processing things, and next thing you know, you've got some big story you're making in your head that isn't even happening, really. But you're projecting. You're, oh, this is going to happen. It may not happen yet, but I'm telling you it's going to happen. I'm, I'm the expert. I'm pro at that. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Paul said, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10, 5. And basically what Paul is saying is that we have to understand that there are going to be times when Satan comes calling. If you don't believe that right now, wait, he will come calling. You may not have recognized his voice. You may have thought that was just a commercial on TV trying to tell you that your car wasn't good enough, but that was Satan, and he was talking to you. And over and over again, he comes calling in so many different ways. And as believers and followers of Jesus, we're to demolish or kill off all those lies and arguments that were being told. We've got to get rid of them. We're to take every thought we have captive, bring it under the leadership and lordship of Jesus Christ, and discern the truth about it. Is what I'm processing here in my mind is those thoughts going around and around in my mind are they true or is that something that satan is manufacturing and almost always when i'm like that it's something that satan is manufacturing and it doesn't even happen and i'm sat there and i've worried and got discouraged and got all beat up and got angry at something or someone over nothing and paul tells us take your thoughts captive get those things under control so that you don't have to live in that way think truth Think truth. Elijah's believing lies. He's beat up. He's exhausted. His feelings have gotten involved. He's sleeping a lot, a sign of discouragement and depression. So he travels 40 days as God leads him, and he's back in a cave of sleep. He's back in a cave of sleep. He's still struggling. He needs to be reminded of the goodness and the might and the power of the Lord. So, so God comes to Elijah in the cave, and God always comes to us in different ways, but he comes to Elijah in the cave in 1 Kings 19, 9 through 10, and here's, here's what you read. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He's talking to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, but the Israelites, they've rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophet to death with a sword, and I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. See, he's processing these thoughts, and he's got this all going on. And he's telling God, oh, it's awful. You wouldn't believe how awful it is. Like, God doesn't know. And oh, my goodness, they've killed everybody, and I'm the only one left. Little exaggeration, but sounds like me. Sounds like normal kind of stuff. 
He's admitting to his discouragement. He's identified his discouragement. I've done what you called me to do. No one hears, and that's an exaggeration. No one cares, that's an exaggeration. No one's listening. You know, I've gone home from Sunday morning service many times and told Darcy, I don't think one person in that room heard a thing I said. That's not true. I know that's not true, but that's how, God, that's how Satan likes to make us think. They've killed all your prophets but me, and now they're after me. But here's the deal, I got to tell you that God isn't angry at Elijah. He doesn't go, well, you just don't seem to get it. What is wrong with you? I fed you bread, I've worked miracles through you, you ought to be all excited, I burned down that altar. What is wrong with you? He doesn't get angry, he doesn't just give up. In fact, in 1 Kings 19, 11, then it says, the Lord said, go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. It's one of my favorite scriptures here. For the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, kind of like today, and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. I love that. And when Elijah heard it, it says he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I've been zealous for you, Lord Almighty. The Israelites, they've rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophet to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. They're trying to kill me. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, and he tells him what to do. And he goes all through this, telling him how to do it. And then verse 18, and he says, oh, by the way, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, 7,000 people, all who have not bowed their knees to the pagan gods of Baal. All whose mouths have not kissed him. In other words, people who still believe, still are on fire, still trust in me. And I love that because God met Elijah right where he was at. And that's what God wants to do with you and me today. God always meets us right where we're at. He doesn't say, when you get your act together, when you get it all figured out, when you get undiscouraged, come see me. God meets you in your discouragement, even when you have had your mind and your thoughts on wrong things, even when you're letting Satan influence you. God will meet you in your discouragement right where you're at. Second thing is this, God is not deterred from his plan by Elijah's discouragement. He gives Elijah his plan. I love that. God always has a plan. When you're discouraged and you're trying to tell God how awful it is and how your plan is, because that's what you're doing, you're telling God how it really is, God says, well, that's fine, but I've got a plan for you. I've got a plan for you. I love that. Thirdly, he came to him in a gentle whisper. Now, I've got to be honest with you. There's been people that are discouraged that I've yelled at. Anybody here ever yelled at someone you shouldn't have? I mean, you know, I've, I've acted in ways that's inappropriate. But God does not. He came to him in a gentle whisper because he understood Elijah's pain and fear. He just said, hey, I need to talk to you, my friend. He whispered gently to him. Finally, God doesn't leave him in his discouragement. He points out that Elijah is not alone. He said there are 7,000 people left in Israel who are still faithful. What God did here was draw near and encourage Elijah with the truth. He just poured truth into him. God always gives us truth. He always pours truth into us. And if we'll listen to his truth and get our 
thoughts and our minds on him, if we'll focus on him and get him off of the circumstances and get him on him and get him off the circumstances, get him on the truth because he always tells the truth. He's always real. He never, ever, ever, ever lies. And get our mind on that and get it off of the circumstances that surround us. See, right now the world's telling us that the church is going to be gone. It's dying and it'll be gone soon. And that's not true. God says that that the gates of hell cannot prevail against his church, that he'll always have a church. And so there's going to be a church, and that's because God said there's going to be a church. And you can get your eyes off of the circumstances that the world's bringing right now because God's already said it's going to be so. This is going to be the church, and he's going to have a victorious church, and he's going to have a strong church. He's going to have a church without spot and wrinkle, and he's going to make it his church. It's already said that, so we might as well just live in that and start believing that. Get our eyes off the circumstances. gets Elijah to believe the truth and he helps him get a handle on that so that he can set aside all the lies he's hearing and believing. And I, I want to tell you today that in your discouragement, you need to just get a handle on the truth of God and what he said about you because he loves you. You're his child. He's your good daddy. He's your good father. Those lies that people are telling you that you're not good enough, the lies that you've heard all your life, that you're not pretty enough, that you're not uh, skinny enough or you're too skinny or or the lies that you heard that you're a middle child and, and so you don't matter. Or the lies that you heard that your name was and so you don't matter. And all those things, those are lies. God says, you're my child and I went to the cross for you. You need to get your eyes on that. You need to get your mind on that. You need to wrap it around that and tie a knot in that and say, that's it right there. I'm going to live on that. And all this other stuff. I mean, when it comes along, sometimes I'll hear it and I might get a moment of discouragement, but I'm going to remind myself of this and I'm going to look at Satan and I'm going to tell him, you're not going to trip me up here. Get out. Because God's already promised this. How many times have we sat in a situation of discouragement thinking I'm the only one who has to deal with this? No one else is ever in this kind of situation. You ever been there? Sitting there going, I'm the only one that ever has to deal with this. No one else has ever been sick. When you're sick, you feel like that. I mean, at least, especially men. I mean, you know, I know women have children so they can understand how we feel, men, when we have a cold. (laughs) Right? It's just true. No one else has ever had a spouse leave in the middle of stuff. No one else has ever been called names. No one else has ever had someone lie about them or falsely accuse them. I'm the only one in this whole room that's ever short on money. Darcy and I are the only ones that ever have a fight. Every time we have any kind of disagreement, well, we're probably the only ones that ever have a fight, you know. No one else is ever upset at their job or their kids. You know, I don't think God really cares about me. I, that's, that, I've been through all those things. And we need to get real and take our thoughts captive and tell Satan the truth about how great our God really is. And we need to let God draw near and remind us because he wants to speak into your heart and your mind. He wants to whisper the truth into your ear about how much he loves you. He wants to remind you that the fight is not ours. That he is still in control. And he wants us to get our mind wrapped around the truth And to quit believing all the lies out there. If we're going to overcome discouragement, we need to renew our minds. We need to clearly and honestly assess and accept the situation. No reason to not admit that we're in a tough spot. That's fine. But we also need to remind ourselves that God is a God with a redemptive plan. Paul said in his second letter to the Corinthian people in 4, 17 through 18, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. 
For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And man, that's a good reminder that we're in the midst of some junk right now. There's all kinds of junk flying around us. That life isn't always easy. But this is not all there is. This isn't the final straw. This isn't the place it all ends. God has a plan of redemption right now. And it's in place. It's already going on. So we fix our eyes on the unseen plan. We go, okay, God, I know that plan, so I'm getting my eyes on that, and I'm getting them off of this other junk over here. Because uh, circumstances are constantly changing, but God's plan will not change. It's for all eternity. 10,000 years from now, God's plan for you will be the same as it is right now. And if you're ever going to overcome discouragement, you have to press into God. I'm going to tell you, this is one of the most important things I'm ever going to tell you in the rest of your life. The psalmist wrote it in Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light, my salvation, whom shall I fear? I love that. And then over here, Nahum, the prophet, wrote these words to the people of God, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. God had a plan for Elijah. He sent Elijah off to accomplish it. We need to get as close to Jesus as is humanly possible. We need to quit seeing how far we can be and just hang on a little bit. You know, I, I, I remember as a kid always kind of wanting to get away from my parents, seeing how far I could go before they yelled at me to come back. That's what we do with Jesus. We need to instead press into him and get as close to him as we can and hang on to him and get to know him and get to know all he has for us. We needs to be our constant, complete companion. He's our refuge, our strength, our present help in times of trouble. Buy into his plan, live in it fully. And finally, to overcome discouragement, we have to begin to practice being thankful. I can't tell you how important this is. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17, uh, 16 through 18 says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Thanksgiving and gratitude, recognizing the truth about who you are, recognizing what you have, our, our, our powerful stories of disappointment and discouragement, but knowing completely that God is in charge of them and everything is going to be okay. And being thankful for that. The truth is, is that we often find ourselves running on empty. That song's right. There's a lot of times we just wake up and say, man, I feel empty today. I'm running on empty. And sometimes it's our own fault. I caused it. I worked, you know, 30 days and never took any time off. I've been eating wrong. I've never done a moment's exercise. I've sat in front of the TV every moment I could. Those are my fault. That's, that's, that's going to bring some disappointment into my life. But you know what? Oftentimes it's not my fault. But the reality is, is that when I press into God, when I hang my trust and my hope on Him, when I get my eyes fixed on Him and not on situations that don't work out like I think they should, when I trust Him and not in others, because trust in others breeds cynicism, when I trust in Him and not in myself, because trust in myself breeds pride, when we trust in Him, we can overcome, and He will fill us up, and He will empower us to live alive fully and renewed in Him fully. Great example. I'm wrapping this up right now. Paul was in a Roman prison for stuff he didn't do. And he's in this Roman prison, and it was in that Roman prison where he wrote most of the New Testament letters that we enjoy so much that remind us of how to live. 
And he could do that because he was not discouraged, even though he lived in a really rotten place. It stunk in there, trust me. It was not a beautiful, easy prison with 60-inch TVs like we have today. He was cynical. He was not cynical, I should say. Back up. He was not cynical. He was not burned out. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. In other words, we're not discouraged. Though outwardly we're wasting away, there's all kinds of stuff coming against him. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. For our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen. In other words, I don't get my eyes fixed on my lack of cash. I don't get my eyes fixed on the fact that I, 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 you know, I don't feel good today or whatever else. I fix my eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, what God has done for us, what He will do for us, the plan that He has for us is eternal. So let me ask you a couple questions and we'll wrap this up today. What are you focused on today? What do you have your eyes fixed on? What are you looking at right now? You know, are you, are you looking at the circumstances? I don't have enough. I'm getting old. I don't think it's going to be able to hang on very much longer. Are you looking at circumstances? Are you fixating on your problems, circumstances, and situations? Because if you do, you're going to end up running on empty. I promise you that. I don't care how much you have. You know, there's this guy named Robert Kraft. Everybody hear him before? He owns the the dreaded Patriots. There's just too many jokes right now, I could tell, but I won't do it. I'm I'm, I'm really going to try to take the high road here. Yesterday, sadly, came out that he was being arrested for soliciting prostitution. The man owns $6 billion, and he's running on empty. Because that's the only reason you do that, because you're running on empty. Because he's broke. He's broke. So it doesn't matter your circumstances. It doesn't matter if you have millions and billions of dollars. It doesn't matter if you have a great job. It doesn't matter if everybody thinks you're great. If you got your eyes on the wrong things, you're going to end up running on empty. You're going to end up in trouble. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus and you win every time. I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know if anybody here say, man, I just, need to, I just need to seek Jesus. I just need to pray right now. I just need to take care of some things. I don't know. I'm going to have you stand with me, and I'm going to pray. And Anybody wants to pray can today. We're not going to have any music this morning. I guess it's still morning. But maybe some of you would like to pray with me. And, and if not, that's okay. Maybe some of you would like to just meet me and pray later and just talk. I would love to do that. I know one thing. I know that we as a church cannot continue to run on empty. We have to get our eyes on Jesus. we got to. I love this series. I think it has been one of the greatest series that we've done, and I've loved it because it reminds us of so many things. It is, I've dealt with all of it. It's all part of who I am, too, and it's helping me to move forward. And I want to see you get out of these kind of places and out of this because there's nothing good that comes out of uh, out of being cynical and burnt out and, and proud and, 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 and frustrated and, and, and discouraged. Nothing good comes out of that. 
And it's all fixable. All we have to do is get our eyes on Jesus. I know you're sitting there going, oh, it sounds like it's too simple. But it's not. It's not. It's the answers. He is the answer. So I'm going to pray. And when I pray, if you'd like to pray with me right now up here, I'd be glad to meet you and pray. If not, that's fine. If you want to call me, send me a text, say, could we pray, meet? I'd be glad to do that too. Whatever. I just want to be there for you. But let's pray together right now. Father, I thank you for the truth of this message. I thank you for what you have done in it. I thank you, Lord, for this being something that Ian brought to my attention. And Lord, I thank you for his messages. And I thank you for setting that up and then for today and how you've been teaching me through this and reminding me that I can easily become discouraged and I can get defeated easily and I can begin to look at all the circumstances. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me for that. Lord, I admit the truth right now, Lord. There's some here who need to just declare it out loud. I'm discouraged, I'm beat up, I'm tired, I'm cynical, I'm, I'm burned out. That's the only way we're ever gonna find answers and, and get real. And Lord, I pray for that right now. I pray that people will be honest and real. And I pray that they'll begin to say, you know what, I don't want that for my life. I want more than that. I want to get my focus, my thoughts on you, Lord. Lord, I know that it's easy to say and harder to do. But Lord, I believe that you give us the grace and the strength to overcome the evil one. You give us the hope to do that, Lord. You've promised us. You've promised us. Lord, help us right now to begin to learn and to know your promises so that we can cling to your promises and know that you're really going to do what you said you're going to do. Lord, be with us as we go from this place. Lord, you know our needs. You know all the things that are going on in this congregation of people. Lord, I know there's needs. I know there's people right now that are struggling. Lord, I pray for them right now that they will look to you and find hope. We love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And we give you praise. And we ask you to come right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Feel free to let me know. I, I would love to pray with you.